0: Well, this morning, if you open your Bibles to Psalm 139, it's where we're going to begin. 139, Psalm 139, which is read for us. Before we get into it, let's pray and ask that God would be merciful and open His Word to us this morning. Father, we love You and we thank You for Your Word. Because apart from it, we'd be so lost living in darkness, groping around, living according to passions and lusts and not having a clue. It's Your Word that established the heavens and the earth. It's Your Word that upholds it all. It's Your Word that brings life from death. It's Your Word that brings resurrection. It's Your Word that renews us, that strengthens us, that guides us, that directs us. It's your word that brings light. It's your word that brings hope. It's your word that creates the future. So now, as we open your word, we look to you and ask you, O Lord, with mercy and grace, pour out upon us that we might know you, know your word, know your presence, for we ask it in Christ. Amen. Well, if you recall, back in August, I had did a little, started a mini-series that I, I ended because we started the series on becoming a church on mission in September. And I, after the series kind of got started, I tit- titled it, Our God is Awesome. And we looked at, uh, every title that I'm going to have in this series is all about the supremeness, the supreme, we looked at the supreme goodness of God. We looked at the supreme value of God. And then we looked also at the, uh, what was it? Supreme goodness, supreme value, um, supreme power of God. That's yeah, right. Yeah. That, that was it. Yeah. So we, what we did is look look at these different aspects of God and who he is, because it's one of the most fundamental things we could ever do, is know our God. As John 17.3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So to know God, as he's revealed in Jesus, is, did you hear that? Is eternal life. To know him. If you want to know what eternal life is, then you must know him. And when you know him, you have eternal life. That puts knowing God at a pretty high level, doesn't it? If you think of how important is it to know God? Well, I'd say it's essential. <laughs> it's pivotal. And so we're, this, we're gonna get back. I wanna, I wanna actually complete this series. Our God is awesome. So that we, we can as a people grow in our knowledge of God. Because as you grow to know Him, that is eternal life. But also it affects the way we live our life. It affects our ability to trust him, it affects our ability to follow him, it affects our ability to to know that he is indeed God in control in amidst a world that sometimes seems crazy and chaotic. Spurgeon once preached, "Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go. Plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity." And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billow of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial, as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. J.I. Packer wrote, Disregard the study of God And you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through this life blindfolded. As it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. So true, isn't it? And that's why I want to address this morning, as we looked at uh, this idea of who God is, this morning the aspect we're going to look at is the supreme presence of God. The fact that God is everywhere theologians call this omnipresence. He's everywhere present. Now, if I was to put this in a form of a question, we might ask this. Where is God? To which we could quickly answer, God is everywhere. God is everywhere, but he's often not perceived. Psalm 139, if you look at the text, Especially starting at verse 2, he says, You know when I sit down. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. And then verse 3 and 4, according to verse 3 and 4, God's acquainted with all his ways, he says. Even knowing what he's going to say before he says it. And as a result of this, the psalmist in verse six exclaims, "Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. To think that God, He knows my sitting down, my rising up, He knows my thoughts before before I say something. He He knows what I'm about to utter. He says to to have someone know me this way, and to be to be able to do this, such the thought of it is too wonderful for me. Like, wow! It, it basically it blows my head apart." There's not one part of life where God is not present, and the psalmist is just getting started, because if he goes on to verse, he goes on to verse seven and through twelve. He says this, taking it even a step further. If I ascend to heaven, if I if I was to ascend to heaven, that one's kind of obvious. Well, goes, oh yeah, for sure. We say we understand God is in heaven. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. But this one often. We don't think about. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand uphold me. I remember being at a Ligonier conference once and J.I. Packer was there. This was years ago, the early nineties. And someone asked a question. Is God in hell? And everybody else in the panel went quiet and they all looked to J.I. Packer. (laughs) And he says in his accent, which I I can do, turn to Psalm 139. And And he says, if I make my bed in Sheol, even there you are. The whole point of Psalm 139 is there's nowhere you can go where God is not. He has to be. Otherwise, it couldn't exist. But he's not there in the way you want him to be there. He's not there in the way you would like him to be there. But, oh, he's there because he has to be there. Things don't exist apart from him. There's no part of this life where God is not present nor involved. In fact, even before the psalmist was born, God had his days numbered. Look at verse 16, where he says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. The psalmist is making clear throughout this whole text that God is everywhere present. He knows all things, and nothing is hid from his eyes. Just think of that for a moment. As he he talks about even his unformed substance. So unformed substance means that I wasn't even born, and yet he saw it, he knew it. It was there already in his mind. He understood that I was going to be. And all the days of my life were written in your book, As you've often heard, your days are numbered, right? God has decreed you can't shorten your life or lengthen it. Stonewall Jackson, I love the courage he had because he knew and he believed that God had his days numbered and no man could change that. And so he was bold as a lion and courageous and would walk into battle knowing that nobody could shorten his days. His days were numbered. God had them. Jeremiah, uh, prophet Jeremiah. He declares in Jeremiah twenty three twenty four. This is God declaring through the prophet. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord. Is it possible? Then he, the next question is this: Do I not fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. Do I not fill it all? <laughs> you remember Solomon is going to build a temple for the Lord? You know, nice try, but, he, but Solomon even gets it. He says, how can I build a temple for you when you fill heaven and earth? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the every idea of building a place and say you dwell here is like, okay, nice idea, but you fill it all. It's not, So it's almost symbolic rather than actually the real, real truth. It's not like this is where God dwells and nowhere else. And Solomon got that even before he built the temple. This is also why this, uh, the Apostle Paul said what he did in Acts 17, 28, where he declared that in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. In him, we live and move and have our being. So right now... Right now God is everywhere around you. But most of the time you do not perceive it. Right now, have you ever asked God, "Oh Lord, let me know your presence. Oh Lord, may I know you, may I see you, may draw near to us, O oh Lord." And often what we're asking for in those questions is special presence. Because I think theologically, if we understood what we we're saying, we'd, he'd say, hello, right here. I, you live and you move and you have your being in me. I uphold all things. I am everywhere. Where do you think you could go from me? And you, it's, it's always a perception problem on our part. Because God, he, this is why he often has to tell his people that he's with them. Lo, I'm with you. I'm with you. Because the God that we serve, unless we see him in his glory, unless we see him in, a, in his manifest presence, we don't perceive him often. And we need all kinds of assurances because we're such physical people, right? I'm comforted when somebody stands by my side. Everybody's stronger and tougher depending on who they have at their back. It always amazed me when the in hockey when the referee would get in the middle and everybody became tougher because they kind of felt a sense of protection that other guy couldn't get at me. So I'm like, you know, the the guys, the guys lipping the other guy off and acting all strong. The, The ref goes out of the way and and now he's looking for a place to run. And that's what we're like. As humans, we feel very comforted. We feel strength when we feel support around us. We sense we know who is with us. If you've got the toughest, baddest, meanest dude around at your right hand, you're pretty confident. If you know the guy's got your back, you'd walk into most situations unafraid. You know, there's situations and scenarios that all of us could walk into, could find ourselves in and if we had the right person beside us it wouldn't bother us one bit you could walk into um, a major wicked area these are all the drug cartels are meeting but if the dawn's at your right side and he's escorting you in you feel quite different right And this is the whole thing about the presence of God. A problem is God is saying, no, I'm everywhere present. I'm there. I'm with you. But we don't often perceive it. And because I think this kind of brings another question to our mind, because we think if we look at scripture, God, it's clear, isn't it? You, you look at the scriptures we've looked at already, and there's, and there's many others, and God is everywhere present. But the scriptures also talk about him being in specific locations. In particular, it talks about God being in heaven. So if how is it that the, God, the scriptures talk about God being in heaven or God being in a different place and God not being, it seems like not here but there, how is it that it, it says he's everywhere? Is that not a conflict? What's, what's going on? And so... To that, I want to say this. The quick answer is, God is everywhere, but not everywhere in the same way. God is everywhere, but not everywhere in the same way. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle John has a vision. And here's what he sees in this vision. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Hear that? A door standing open where? Where? It's in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet would be pretty amazing, hearing a voice like a trumpet. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit, and behold, the first thing he sees, he goes he says, Come up here, he goes up there, he's in the spirit, and the first thing he sees and he says, Behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And before the throne was a sea of glass. And around the throne were 24 elders. And they're crying out to the one on the throne, Holy, day and night, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. John sees the throne room of God in heaven. And this is similar to what Isaiah sees. Isaiah in chapter 6 of Isaiah. It says this, where he he also has a vision. He says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his Lord, I mean, sorry, the train of his robe filled the temple. So clearly, where is God? If we ask most people, say, where is God? Well, God's in heaven. His throne is in heaven, right? It often speaks of this, and we see two, two passages clearly. God is in heaven, his throne is in heaven. And when Isaiah sees this throne, this throne, both John and Isaiah, they're overwhelmed by the glory of it. Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So where is, where is God? You say, well, if God's in heaven. Where's his throne? His throne's in heaven. Wait a second, we thought we said God is everywhere. Yes, God is everywhere but he's not everywhere in the same way. Stephen also had a vision. You remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7? He's getting stoned because of what he declared to the Jews about Jesus. He saw the heavens opened up, and this is what it says in verses 54 through 56. Now when, when they heard these things, they were angered or enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Where is God? Clearly, God is in heaven. God sits on his throne in heaven. But yet God is everywhere, right? Do you see the tension? That's what we find in Scripture. We also know from Scripture that God actually hides his face from us, hides his Another way to say it says, "Glorious presence that you do cannot behold his face." In Exodus chapter thirty-three, twenty, God responds to Moses' request to see his face by saying, "This, Moses, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. But I tell you what, I will do something for you. No man shall see me and live." You notice something about Moses there. Moses is actually not in a, he's not in a state or a dream or in the spirit. He is actually, he's not, he's in reality and he's communicating with God and God says, no man will see my face and live. And then you look at Isaiah and John and theirs was a vision. They're in a sleep state having a vision of God. Moses is a wide awake and he is speaking with God and he wants to see God's face. He's uh you'd explode. <laughs> uh, I love you too much, Moses. <laughs> you, you, do, you don't know what you ask for. So clearly in, in Scripture, God's face and glory and his throne are not in all places equally. That's clear. They're in the heavens. That means that God obviously can veil and hide his face and his glory. This is why Stephen, the heavens opened for Stephen. When he's in the spirit, the heavens were opened. We see this opening up and this, visually, uh, this visual, visual of looking up into the heavens, and there God is seated on his throne, glory. Uh, Mark Jones, in his book, God Is, said this about God's differing presence. In heaven, God's presence towards the saints delights and comforts them. In hell, God's presence toward the damned terrifies and torments them. God is as present in heaven as he is in hell, but he exhibits his presence differently in each place. Even on earth, we may speak of God being present in a special manner. And again, there's all he's making note of is the differences, the fact that God's presence is, is in different places, but it's manifested differently. God's presence was different at the temple than it was in the wilderness. His presence was at both place, places, but his special presence in the cloud and in the fire was overtop the temple. Herman Bavinck, the great theologian, quoting Augustine, made the point even better when he said, "God dwells in all His creatures, but not in all alike. All things are indeed in Him." but not necessarily with him. God does not dwell on earth as he does in heaven, in animals as in humans, in the wicked as in the devout, in the church as he does in Christ. In Christ, he dwells uniquely by personal union. The two are one. God's full manifestation is in Christ. So even though God is present everywhere by the Spirit, he isn't everywhere present in the same way. And so when we talk about the presence of God, even though you get talking about him being in the highest heavens and the depths of the sea, and no matter every square inch you cannot escape his presence, his presence isn't, isn't the same always. He manifests it differently. God could manifest right now. He could manifest his presence here in a way that where we would all hit the ground and be incredibly terrified. That's a particular kind of manifestation of his presence. But here's the reality. He's here. Do you notice him? Right now, he's here. And sometimes we wait till we have emotional response to think that, you know, oh, God is in this place. Oh, God was always in this place. But right now, he seems to be manifesting in a special way. We can talk like that, but we often have to be careful even how we communicate and talk because in in some ways when we talk about his presence, oh, that you would be present among us, oh Lord, we have to realize and understand what we're talking about is a special manifestation of his presence because his presence is everywhere. Now, if you look in your, I don't know how many of you guys use the notes in the bulletin. If you are using the notes in the bulletin, the last two points, you can pretty much take your pencil, and go right through them. And here's why they got away on me bad. (laughs) They got seriously away on me. I ran into a theological conundrum as I was doing this, and my brain started to explode, and my time started running out. And, And so I realized, I made a decision... Late yesterday afternoon, that's it. I'm cutting. (laughs) I'm cutting it. And I'm not going to, it's not going away forever. Next week, I'm going to, I just realized it started actually morphing into a whole different area it started going into the area of God's sovereign rule and governance and how that works with his presence. And I realized, I got to the point where I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm in way over my head. I'm getting into the weeds. This is a whole nother sermon. What have I done? And so, the, the second half about how God, now God's presence being everywhere and how that affects his rule of things we're going to look at God's supreme sovereignty in relation to, to his presence next week. So it's coming, but it's just too much for this. You would have been sitting here for an hour and a half and still been confused. So <laughs> along with me. So in saying that, I want us to understand this. And so instead of having two more points, I'm going to have a longer conclusion with the, try to make this applicable to us. So that we really understand that God's presence, even though uh, we can declare and we know the Bible says God is everywhere present, everywhere, but not in the same way. And he has a special presence at special times and special places. And God manifests himself differently at different times. Because the whole point, the reason why this is so important, the reason why knowing your God and knowing his presence is because we are fearful creatures, do you know most of your life is controlled by fear? God says more than anything throughout the scriptures, I think 365 times in the scriptures, fear not. He had to continually tell Joshua because he knew he was calling him in to do something great and beyond himself. And what does he tell Joshua? Fear not, for I am with you. It's so necessary. Fear not. Why? I'm with you, Joshua. Because I'm calling you, Joshua, to go do something that's going to cause you to tremble. And one of the things we desperately hate is walking into situations where we sense fear. Fear. If we sense fear, we want to go away, right? We don't like walking into f- situations that cause us fear. But often that's what God's calling us to do. Heck, we, we fear having people over to our house because we're afraid of what they might think. We fear animals that are like this big. If if, if a, sp- a spider shows up, some people will like come unglued and run out of the room and and have a heart attack almost. We're fearful creatures. We're, we fear we fear acceptance or non acceptance. We fear secu- having secu- not having security. We fear we fear things that we even perceive as maybe a little bit tenuous or dangerous. We fear what some walking into strange environments where we're not exactly sure how things are going to go, right? We like we like to walk into an environment where we know who's there, what they're wearing, what they're eating. Then the more we know and understand and we're comfortable with, okay, we'll be all right with it, right? But you change the scenario where you're walking in and blind. You don't know exactly who's there. You don't know exactly what's going to be going on. You don't know exactly what they're wearing. So like you're wondering if you're wearing the right thing and you're trembling, you're fearful, By nature, we're very fearful creatures. And here's why this happened. Because by at the very beginning, do you realize that we are in such union and communion with God that we were full-on confident and fearless? The God of heaven and earth is with us, and that was never in question or doubt. But ever since the fall... and we're separated from God, the One who's designed to give us confidence, to give us strength, to give us uh, fearlessness. We, he, he, we are separated from Him, and so now we walk through this world afraid. What was Adam doing immediately after the fall? I was afraid, and I was ashamed. I hid myself. Boom. Who was that? It was God. <laughs> before that happened there was no problem and that's us now we're, we're like what was that you hear that lock the doors um do you have the gun yeah you know, we're constantly looking for someone or something to give us strength and confidence and assurance that everything's going to be okay right isn't that who we are as people We're just super fearful, but we weren't designed to be fearful because at first we had the God of heaven and earth, the one all powerful one, the one that he was on our side and he was with us and is not in question. There was no doubt. So you could walk into any situation and never be fearful because why would you be fearful when the God of heaven and earth is with you? That's nonsensical. But now that that relationship got torn apart, now what we're trying to restore, and this is what Jesus came to restore, is the relationship. And so now we're united to him, but we struggle with faith, believing the truth. Why do you think Jesus said in Matthew 28, before he sends the Great Commission, go into all the world, all the earth, and make disciples of all nations? He tells them what to do and how to do it. And then what does he say at the end? And lo, I am with you. Even to the end of the age. Those those are pivotal words. Pivotal. And Jesus said, wait in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit will descend upon you and give you power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What we need as fearful creatures apart from God is the confidence of knowing that he's with us. Oh, Lord, are you with me? That's what I want to know. Because if God is with me, who could stand against me? And isn't that really what he tries to show throughout the scriptures? If I'm with you, you've got nothing to fear. And he sometimes, like I love the story of Gideon because he's like, your army's way too big. Because I know it's gonna happen. If if you win with this many people, and he says it in there, you're gonna take the glory and you're gonna think it was your own strength. Cut it down, cut it down, cut it. He got it to the point where it was ridiculous. Thinking, oh no. Yeah, you need to be start thinking, oh no. God loves it when it's oh no. You've got to get the reality that, that all you need is me. With you and God, you're a majority. 10,000 upon 10,000 could not stand against you, no matter what. That's what I love about Samson. The Spirit of God is with them. We think we need some special Spirit of God to be with us, and he just takes on thousands of men. But those who know their God have always displayed strength and taken action, as Daniel 11 says. Those who know their God and know that He's with them. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. You know so many times I have to, I I love Isaiah 41.10. I've given it to other people as an encouragement as well. Because that's exactly what it says. Fear not, for I am with you. I am the Lord your God. I will uphold you, I will strengthen you, and I will be with you. And my righteous right hand will uphold you. And sometimes I, I get in fearful situations, and I quote that verse, and for some reason it just, you know, as, I, as I'm as i mindful of the Lord being with me, the Lord empowers with me, it gives me strength. If I feel like I'm alone or I'm asking God, oh God, please, please help me, please be with me. Where are you, oh God? Oh God, please, don't leave me like this. That's that's a lie that the enemy's infiltrating into my mind. It's It's not true. God is with me. You need to know God is with you. End of story. It's the truth. It's the fact. It's the reality. And what he wants you to do is rest in that, trust in that, hope in that, cling to that, and say with full confidence, if God before me, who could stand against me? We should be the most confident people in the world Walk into any situation in the world. Why? The God of heaven and earth is with me. And, you know, meek, humble Christians who are nothing but, like, uh, fearful and controlled by fear is like it's an oxymoron. It's just, it's not, they're living according to lies and not truth. We should be bold as lions because the righteous are as bold as lions, as he says in Proverbs. And why is that? Because they know their God and they know he's with them. We should be the most confident people in the world to the point it's almost ca- cocky. But you know what the world is? The world's trying to gain self-confidence. If one thing you'll know, you'll read books and I'm like self-confidence, self-confidence. How to be self-confidence? You read the book. Man, how do I get self-confidence? Just believe in yourself. You've got it. You've got the machismo. You know, you're a bad, eh. Uh, Like, you know, you've got books out there. They're everywhere. Like, this is who you are. You just believe and, and, you've got these mantras and you tell yourself, no, you're a bad man. You've got it. You're strong. You're, you, you just, what you've been doing your whole life, you know what your problem is, they say? You've been talking bad about yourself the whole time. You gotta believe in yourself. And then, and you start listening to stuff. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty bad. I'm, I'm good. I've got it going on. Let's go. Let's rock. You know, it's like that's self-confidence. And God's like, oh. <laughs> you got nothing going on and you know it. <laughs> you know you're nothing but a wimp. You know you're fearful. God says, I've got it going on. And oh, the way it's to be designed is I'm to be your God. You're to be God confident, not self confident. You are to like, have no doubt. I do not doubt my God is with me. Why should I fear this situation? And we got to start talking to ourselves that way. We need God talk. And so, like, the, the, you know, the self talk about self and boosting up self and encouraging self. We need God talk and God confidence, not self, confidence and and some people christians feel ashamed almost like oh you shouldn't be confident shouldn't be too confident that's like pride and no it's not if you're just like rock solid confident in your god god delights in that that's just joy it it, it's just it's so not the truth when christians walk around fearful they're living and walking according to the lies that the enemy has infiltrated in their minds And you and I will never be bold, we will never be strong, we'll never be confident if we don't understand that God is with us. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you. He's with you right now. And that's why I love to have that verse, Isaiah 41. I start feeling a little fear, and I'll say, fear not. Fear not, for I am with you. Thank you, Lord. You're with me, and I got to start thinking. I got to. I got to remind myself. This is the truth. My God is with me. Why should I fear? Like, have you fear public speaking? You get up here, get in front of the people. Do you fear what they're? You fear their judgment. You fear. I fear what you're going to say about me. I fear what you're going to think about me. I fear you don't like my orange shirt, my sweater under here. That's what we're like. We're if I'm if, if my mind is stuck on what other people think of me. Or if I'm fearful of things, I'm fearful of what they think of me. My mind is not stuck on God and the fact that He's with me. Strength and confidence comes from knowing the presence of God in your life. And part of the problem is this, and this is I'll end with this. Instead of us seeking and pursuing to know God and to know His presence and to know that He's with us, we fill our minds and our hearts with goofy, stupid, trivial stuff. We don't have enough time in our lives. There's too many things assailing us. We truly need the God of all peace, the God of all strength. We need to know him and know that he's with us. And you're never going to know him if what you're pursuing is Facebook and not God. We live in a world of incredible distractions. You and I are distracted in so many levels, and I know the devil's just having a heyday. This is an awesome time. (laughs) This is awesome. Because these people, what I could do is I could distract them all day long, and they're loving it and wasting their time, And, and as long as their mind and their thoughts are not on the God of heaven and earth, and they're just on trivial, dumb stuff, I've got them. Because you will never be strong, you will never be confident, you will never you will never be bold as a lion, you'll never walk into life without fear, as long as your mind is not caught up on the God of heaven and earth that is with you. You won't be. You have to seek God, pursue God, think about God, delight in God, go after God, uh, want to know God. Have, have a good understanding of who this God is. It's not like and, and knowing God is not like, okay, I heard the sermon, I read a book, it's good, I've already done it, I took the catechism class. No, folks, it's like knowing anyone or anything. You pursue it and go after it, and the more you pursue it, and the more you go after it, the more you go after it, the more you know, the more you grow, the deeper it gets within you. You've got to spend, dedicate your whole life to knowing God because that is eternal life. You've got to know Him and know that He's with you and you've got to renew your mind on the truth of who He is and who the fact that He's with you and the fact that He's in you. You renew your mind and you, you set your mind on that kind of thing. Watch how you go to work. If you took some time on the way to work to like listen to the Word or listen to a, a, a good sermon or something that's going to set your mind on the things of God and you watch how you think and act differently at work. You watch how you think and act differently in your family. As we pursue God and as we know God, it changes our life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, while it's good that we seek to know the Holy One, it is probably not so good to presume that we ever complete the task. Not even probably it's not so good. (laughs) It's not good. And when we know God and when we're thinking about God and delighting God, it fills our soul. When we understand the presence of God, it affects us. I love Jim, the martyr Jim Elliott. He said this, and this is a guy who's taking time to be thoughtful and mindful of the presence of God. I walked out to the hill just now It is exulting, delicious. To stand embraced by the shadow of a friendly tree, with the wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart, to gaze in glory and to give oneself again to God. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him. If only I may love him, please him. That's it. There's a guy who knew God. And there's a guy who was willing to walk into the face, into the mouth, sorry, the mouth of lions. He went to a tribe, a pagan tribe, demon-possessed tribe, and sought to bring the gospel to them, and was killed by them. Amazing, amazing testimony and story. Where did that come from? He knew his God was with him. And here's a man who sought God, delighted in God, and God filled his soul. He just knew it. He believed it. He walked according to it. But it doesn't come by chance. He pursued God. J.A. Packer said, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place on their own accord. Gregory Boyd, in his wonderful book, Present Perfect, said, I have found the simple practice of remaining aware of God's presence each moment brings me to the point toward which all other disciplines aspire. It is, I'm convinced, the bedrock of a vibrant relationship with God and is the key to transformation into the likeness of Christ. At the same time, no spiritual discipline could be more challenging. He says, no, no spiritual discipline is, is, uh, is easier and more of the bedrock, more of the foundation than just acknowledging and understanding and knowing the presence of God. But he says, it couldn't be more challenging. I love how he ends. He says, the challenge is not in the doing It's in the remembering. It's not in doing the discipline. It's remembering the discipline. We forget, don't we? That's why God constantly has to remind us, lo, I am with you. Lo, I'm with you. Fear not, Joshua, I'm with you. Fear not, people of God, I'm with you. Yet tomorrow morning you'll probably start to forget. You've got to pursue God. You've got to remember God. You've got to go after God. You've got to understand and know who He is and live in His presence and realize He's with you. God is with you. Let that sink in. He wants you to be confident. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to be bold in him. That delights him. And may that be true of all of us as we seek after and pursue him. Amen. Father, we're so grateful, so thankful that you are our God and you are with us. That you delight in us, you love us, and you dwell in us even now in Christ Jesus. We are one with you. We've been united with you. Oh, Father, I pray for every saint here. I pray for them that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent, that they would know you deeply. They would know you more and better today than they did yesterday. And, Father, that they would grow in their knowledge of you, their fear of you, their delight of you, They would understand and know Your presence with them, that You are with them, O God. And they would be bold and confident because of that. Bless them, O Lord. We ask all of it in Jesus. Amen.